Hello everybody and welcome to this, the first or the pilot episode, if you like, of the Challenge Accepted podcast. Here's where I'm going to be having conversations with people in and around cybersecurity, or if you're old like me, maybe you call it InfoSec and, you know, general security operations things. My name is Ian McShane. Hello, I'm the VP of strategy at Arctic Wolf, but oh, wait, hold on there. I'm not here to give you a stealth sales pitch that you've come to know and love or hate and loathe maybe from other vendor related podcasts. Really, as a, I guess, a wannabe polymath, you know, I, I just like talking to smart people and learning as much as I can from interesting people with interesting points of view on topics mostly related to security. And it also gives me the chance to jump on the jokey cool guy bandwagon and say things like smash that button and refresh those feeds and other hello fellow kids type sayings. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Verizon's data breach investigations report or DBIR for short. And it feels like every security vendor and their dog has some kind of annual report, right? There's M-Trends from Mandiant, which is great. There are, there are tons of companies, you know, AT&T, Accenture, IBM X4, Cisco, CrowdStrike, and of course, you know, sponsored content that companies like Sans and, and Ponemon put out. But very few of them provide useful levels of context, or perhaps even fewer give actionable guidance along with their, their insights. And that's, that's really one of the reasons that the DBIR is probably the one I look forward to most every year. And one, honestly, that every security researcher or security vendor should aspire to contribute to. You know, it's not a, hey, look at how great our company is. It's not how um, you should have bought our next gen cyber war AI preventing XDR tool to avoid these threats kind of sales pitch. It's, you know, a detailed look at the risks our industry is tasked with addressing. And it's written in a really approachable way that avoids the usual tropes you associate with, with security vendor marketing. Now, today's episode, I'm joined, Sam. Well, I was going to say, I've written down the word guest here, but honestly, this person brings way more intelligent things to conversations than I do. So I'm going to go ahead and promote him to the lofty heights of today's co-host, who is Arctic Wolf's Vice President and CISO, Adam Mare. And I honestly love how varied people's career paths can be. And Adam brings things like video game development, intelligence work with the military, special agent in, in the FBI, and of course, hands-on experience and leadership roles in security operations and cybersecurity. Honestly, his resume reads like a, a bucket list of things I'd love to do. So it makes me pretty envious. And, and you know what? On top of that, Adam's rapidly become the best CISO I've ever worked with, right? And I don't mean that as a, a slight against former colleagues, but his energy and commitment to securing our organization here is so infectious and I'm genuinely stoked that not only he's part of the Arctic Wolf team, but that he's on this uh, episode with me today. So Adam, thanks for joining me, man. Wow. That's uh, quite the introduction. I'll, I'll try, <laughs> try to live up to that, Ian. No pressure. No pressure. So like, let's, let's jump straight into the DBIR. Right? I, I already mentioned, I love reading it. I feel there's always something for me to learn or even, you know, just confirm what I've seen or what Arctic Wolf's customers have seen. Um, you know, for example, you always hear like go to any conference holy cow and you hear talk about like zero days you'll hear people talking about social engineering but there's so few vendors that talk about denial of service right and this is one of the things that was the biggest incident generator in the dbir so it's, it's always interesting to see how vendor marketing lines up with the real world so you know clearly it's, it's not always aligned one-to-one -one, but as a practitioner adam and a, and a leader of practitioners i guess how do you how do you use the dbir uh, that's a that's a great question. And again, it's uh, I'm super excited to be here. This is great. This is fun. We're starting this podcast, uh, and hope to be able to maybe join you uh, for future conversations with interesting people. So really happy to be here today. Uh, yeah. So that that's a great question. I think, unfortunately, I do think a lot of people grab the DBIR and they jump straight to the graphs and try to find those headlines and then you know either whip up a 
quick sales pitch or article or whatever it is. There is so much great rigor and information in this report. And especially this uh, 15th uh, anniversary one, they, they really kind of went all out. And it really is written in a way, I mean, there's like, you know, references to DeLoreans and all kinds of things to make it, it fun and, and a topic that could be rendered dry mm-hmm. or can be really pretty ominous. It gives it, you know, a flavor that makes it fun to, uh, you know, take down. It's just approachable. But, yeah, everything you mentioned yeah. there is the, one of the reasons why I enjoy reading it because it's not just dry stats. It's not a like sales pitch esque like thing of here's this number and here's this weirdly unique phrase that doesn't really mean anything outside of this company, right? It's it's something I think that everyone can jump into and learn something from, regardless of whether you read it cover to cover or just focus on the bits that are interesting to you. Yeah, absolutely, and one of the reasons I do recommend, you know, really digging into it is, uh, you know, not just jump into the pretty graphs and the graphs are pretty. I mean, they, they do look really good <laughs> is, uh, um, because you really need to understand the rigor and the baseline from, from having worked in the intelligence community. This is something I really appreciate. They really take the time to define their terms, define what an incident is, what a data breach is. And they're trying to use standards, uh, that we can all use across the industry. So like you said, we're, you know, when they're talking about denial of service being, you know, the biggest thing that we're seeing out there, they're saying that's an incidence, you know, maybe not necessarily in the data breach, but it's in all incidents, all, I think it was almost 24,000 incidents they're talking mm-hmm. about in the report, but they make that very clear. And what that does is it make it feel like the report is not cherry picked. It's not designed to push a certain agenda. It really is a catalog of what is happening out there, at least as far as they can see across the 24,000 incidents and all mm-hmm. the different agencies and organizations that help them put the information together. And, and you know, you can even see who those agencies are there at the end of one of the appendices. So just a really great report for you to come come to and really feel like you're getting a sense of, of what's going on. You, know, you can take stock of what's happening in the industry there. Yeah, it's, it's almost, almost like a, a checklist to confirm that you're focusing on the right things. Like, I know it's, it's always a look back, right? That's, that's one of the things that I, I think gets lost in the mix is that it's a, it's a look back. It's not a prediction. It's not what's happening today. It's the stuff we saw last year, but there are lessons to be learned. And, you know, maybe if you weren't impacted by some of the incidents that they call out, number one, you probably were, you should probably go and look at them. But number two, if you were lucky enough to escape it, it gives you the ability to go back and think, right, how did I manage to prevent that from happening in the first place? What do we need to continue doing that's good? And how can we, you know, build on what we've got? Yeah, this is a really common question I get from people is, you know, how do you stay up to date? And it's funny, I use this report as a way for me to check, are my my real-time feeds really feeding me the information that ends up being true? In other words, is my current picture, I can go back and say, was my current picture throughout the year pretty similar to what's going on? And some years it is, other years, you know, maybe I was focused on, you know, maybe an edge case area or something like that. But I mean, this report's covering the solar winds era and, you know, so I think it really did dovetail yeah. with what, but but it helps me understand are my Twitter feeds, are the articles I'm reading, are those accurate? So it is a look back, but I think it can help you diagnose if what you look at throughout the year is the mm-hmm. right focus for you and for what you're trying to do. Yeah. What you, interesting phrase to use is like focusing on an edge case because, you know, there's no one size fits all in security. It feels like I use that phrase every day. Um, so what might be an edge case to you might be, you know, someone's, bread and butter, like very much their main focus yeah. and everything. So again, it's, exactly. it's using these kind of reports in within the context of your risk 
posture or your security posture, right? Because again, not everyone's um, facing the same challenges. 100%, totally agree, yeah. So, I mean, if you've, if you've ever attended any kind of vendor presentation, right, you'll have seen, like you said, the charts look great and they get reused and the headlines get reused and people write white papers around phrases and words. Um, so all kinds of stuff gets pulled from reports like these. And, and there are a bunch of them, right? There's also, I mentioned some of them earlier, we get some from SANS. Um, I always hear stats about, you know, Ponemon and IBM's research. That seems to be the, the second most quoted one behind the Verizon one. But, you know, what, what reports do you genu genuinely pay attention to? Like, is it all noise apart from the DBIR? Or is there some other, you know, diamonds hidden in the coal stack of vendor reports? Yeah, it's definitely not all noise. I think it's really just important to understand, uh, you know, what angle the report is coming at. You know, like M Trends is going to be different than what you're going to get from a CrowdStrike, and Ponemon usually, you know, really focused on dollars and cents. You know, the mm -hmm. economics of it. These are all important, and you just need to understand. I think the better ones really kind of tell you, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do, and we're not trying to be the Verizon DBIR, which is sort of this bigger catalog. Um, and so th there's a lot of these I use and it will kind of depend on what I'm, what I'm after of what I'll, I'll look to, you know, and even some, even some smaller, more niche, uh, players, you can look at their reports. Um, mm -hmm. another place I love to go though, is CISA and the FBI and the secret yep. service. I mean, they produce some great things. And even though, you know, some people accuse them, but their stuff comes maybe out a little bit later than everyone else's. I know the rigor to which, you know, that is put into those reports. Right. And I really appreciate that. And I also like to engage with those partners. And also I do, you know, do have friends there. So I can also ask <laughs> them for, you know, some, some off, off the record or, or in their personal experience remarks too. So, so that, those are some places I also engage. Yeah. I, I think some of the work that CISA are doing right now, you know, I think Chris and Chris Krebs and Jen Easterly are doing a great job of leading that kind of almost leap to transparency. I say leap because it's going from, you know, the government almost saying nothing to here's a list of all of the known exploits that, are, you know, that are, that are being, sorry, the known vulnerabilities that are being exploited. Like their Kev list is, is, is great. And I'm starting to see other, I was going to call them nation state, but that, that feels like a loaded phrase these days, but other, you know, government entities around the world are starting to be more transparent as well. I think it's a really, really great step forward. Yeah, we're really bringing organizations together. I mean, in the United States, we have the MS uh, ISACs, which are or mm -hmm. the various ISACs, which are yeah. really useful and they've increased in use, I think, dramatically in, in the later years. And it really is due to what, uh, you know, CISA is doing and the, and the other agencies, frankly. I mean, in, in my local area, and I know where our headquarters is, Article Wolf's headquarters is, uh, great outreach from the FBI and Secret Service um, that we can mm -hmm. belong to. So, and I know those kinds of things are happening in other nations as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's reports in a lot of places. I think the bottom line to your original question there is just understanding what that report is trying to do, and it can be very useful. But if you use it, you know, if you use all of them as sort of like trying to be the, the ground truth, you, it might not be that useful or, or even misleading sometimes. But I don't think, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's people's intention. I think you just have to understand <laughs> where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Knowledge, knowledge sharing is so critical in, in cybersecurity. Like you mentioned the ISACs and stuff. Is that something that you've, you, you highly recommend everyone gets involved with? It's, it feels like a no brainer, but, you know, it, you know, is it something that you wholeheartedly would be like, if your industry has an ISAC, get involved? One hundred percent. I mean, it's only by us becoming more involved, and I mean, this is where some of the transparency in the government came from. Is people were demanding that, hey, we want this. I, I think mm -hmm. engagement can only help us all because we know this is a team sport. 
you know, whether it's on a sock as a team or the entire industry as a team, it's a team sport. We've got to help each other. And as we're getting better at this, we're getting better at our reactions. Like seeing what happened with a log for j is amazing when you look back 10, 15, 20 years of what would happen uh, in the old days, you know? So, so yeah, I think it is important. Yeah. So yeah, so to, to your question and not just them reach out, you know, if you're in the United States, reach out to your local FBI office. Um, you know, your, your analogous organization and other nations mm-hmm. reach out to them, build those relationships because once you build those relationships, information can flow mm-hmm. both directions in some cases. And it can be very helpful, especially when, you know, you're in that hair on fire moment, you're in the heat of it, you already know somebody. So I also, you know, yes, join the organizations and form uh, personal relationships. Big recommendation for me. That's that's really interesting. I've never, being an outsider to, to the US, I guess, I've never really thought as the, of the FBI being somewhere you could just call up and say, hey, and, you know, talk about cybersecurity stuff. But is it as simple as looking in the, in the phone book and saying, like, where's the local office? Absolutely. So one of the things I used to do as an agent is I spent a lot of, as a cyber agent, I spent a lot of my time giving presentations at companies and I would just cold call them or try to get introduced. And the whole reason I was doing this, I would give, you know, kind of a, you know, threat, threat landscape slash security awareness briefing and, you know, and tell them some fun stories to keep it engaging. And the whole reason I'm doing this was so they could see my face and they know, oh, I'm not going to call the FBI. I'm going to call Adam, you know, when things are bad. Because they trust me, but the FBI calling the FBI can be scary, right? Yep. And yes, outreach from an organization to the FBI is always welcome because they know forming those relationships is how things actually get done. So yeah, you know, I was giving out cards like as quickly as I could. So yeah, you can get the card of a local FBI agent, cyber agent uh, in this case, and just be able to reach out to them and say, hey, I got this and that. And they'll certainly take your call and help you triage that situation. Is this something we'd be interested in? You know, they'd be interested in taking, is it, you know, rise to the level of their investigative guidelines, things like that, mm-hmm. or direct you in the, you know, the right path to go to get some help with, uh, you know, with whatever it is you're dealing with. That's, that's super interesting. And is, is this straightforward as just calling them saying, Hey, I need some, I need some help. I don't really understand what I should be doing for cybersecurity. Like, let's take the example of a, you know, an organization that's just come back from RSA and is just confused with all the, the buzzwords, the terminology, like, can they use the FBI as a sounding board for truth? So it's a little harder than that because, you know, the FBI is not in a position to really be giving out guidance and direction on their particular set. But it could be something like, hey, I think we've been defrauded or we're having a ton of, you know, fraud attempts on us. I just kind of want to bounce us off someone. You could get someone on the phone uh, for that kind of thing, especially if we're talking high dollar. And uh, but there are in the United States other organizations that can help you do assessments. The Department of Homeland Security has a whole division that's that helps with this and CISA and others mm-hmm. where you can get someone to come out and help you look at your organization. But I also know if you form these personal relationships, you can certainly bounce it off an individual and say, Hey, you know, what are you seeing? Whereas they cannot speak for the bureau. Sure. You know, we can all be human beings say, well, from what I'm saying, I, you know, this kind of thing. So it's definitely worth your time. I think, uh, you know, given the size of your organization, what you're dealing with, it's definitely worth your time. Um, to at least build those relationships for all the different things you can get from it. That's excellent advice. Yeah, I would I would never have thought of of that as a a viable path forward. How crazy! Maybe that says more about my home country than it does about the US. I don't know. Um, so well, I, on, I, I, guess, a, I, well, I was just going to say I worked with, with a lot of great people um, from Great Britain and from Canada, and I know they have very similar situations 
um, with reaching out to them. So I, I would be surprised if it's not the same, but again, you know, it just, it can't hurt, especially yeah. when you're not in battle mode to reach out and form those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know the, and you know, I jest, but you know, I know the NCSC have been doing some really great work, you know, yeah. not following in the footsteps, maybe of CISA. I don't want to say it's a, a follow thing, but they've been certainly at the forefront of translating what we do from a, um, cybersecurity perspective under the hood and making a lot more transparency and a lot more guidance, frankly, which I think is, is great for, for organizations of all sizes. So if sure. you think about, you know, think about the DPIR, maybe let's think about the actual industry. Like the biggest challenges at the moment, right, it's got to be like ransomware. Right? I think that's the, the number one like top of mind for everyone. It's no surprise that it's, you know, a big uh, issue that's pointed out in the DPIR and every, every other research paper or, or presentation that you go to. So, with it being top of mind for everyone, with it being in the headlines every day, there was something mentioned today about a, a um, an adversary group claiming to have managed to ransom off um, Walmart, which Walmart are denying, and all of this, you know, interesting stories that that keep coming up. Is is there a way, like, as 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 someone that owns this security strategy for a large company, Adam, like, what's the best way that you can prevent that organization from falling victim to it? Yeah, this really, really interesting question. And I do think there's, I mean, the whole topic on ransomware and how it's become uh, commoditized, commodified, and there's even specialization out there on how this is, you know, being conducted. That's very fascinating to me. You yep. know, I was still, I was still working in the FBI when this was starting to happen. It's amazing. And we're seeing kind of the fruition of that now of just how widespread it is. But I think what's also really interesting when you look at the report is, I think it's important not to focus too heavily on one type of attack, like just focus on, mm -hmm. on we got to protect ourselves from ransomware. I mean, that should be a goal, but I think it's more important to when you, when you approach security is really to look at, look at the security picture that can protect you against a lot of things, not just one type of attack. And I think that really bears uh, or that, that becomes true as you look at the whole report, because where do most of these ransomware attacks come from? I mean, we're talking mm -hmm. about exploiting, um, you know, vulnerabilities in desktop sharing software, right? Like our RDP and things like that. And then many of them are involving credential theft, right? And to protect those two things, you're going to do a lot of stuff that goes outside of the scope of talking about ransomware, right? Yeah. So I know a lot of people say this, but the thing is, it's still true for us in it, as an industry. You've just got to go back to basics. Yes, are you yep. doing the basic things to protect your credentials? Are yep. you doing the basic things to protect things like, you know, desktop sharing software? Are you doing those things? Do you have a backup strategy? Have you tested the backup <laughs> strategy? You, if you're not doing those things, and that's going to protect you against a lot of a, a lot of different types of attacks. So to me, that is where I drive the conversation when I get asked this question is, let's go back to basics. And you know what? It's the same thing for random humans, right? Because yeah. that's another thing that we've seen with ransomware and uh, the commodification of, uh, you know, these attack tools is random human beings are also being ransomed, right? This is happening to like people, not just organizations, but the answer is the same. Go back to basics, cyber hygiene. Yeah. Do your, uh, you know, are you using a password manager of some kind, you know? And the answer is probably no, no with most people <laughs> and organizations like, you know, Anyway, so that's that's what I say when we get to a specific, and I, I would love to talk about the specific vector here, but that's my answer is you've yeah. got to go back to your basics. Are you doing the basics? And I guarantee you there's something in there that you could do better, more fully, 
more completely if you really look at it. Yeah, you, I, you articulate it much better than I do. Like every time I get asked about ransomware, it's always, I always say ransomware is the outcome, right? It's not, it's not the thing you're trying to prevent upfront, right? You're trying to prevent the symptoms of, of, uh, of ransomware. And, and like you say, you say basics, I like to say foundational, like it's, you get back to the foundational elements of security. Like one of the things that, that baffles me is, especially when you think about the, the consumer side of things and, and, um, identity theft is, is an example I use here. It's like, it, it tends to be end users that, that's, that suffer, right? It's the, it's the consumers that suffer when there's a data breach because it's their PII, it's their social security number, it's their stuff that goes. And every time, you know, the, the company in question pays for, you know, whatever the fraud prevention thing is of the day, when the reality is most of the issue is going to be around credential stuffing, right? The reuse of that, those stolen credentials. So instead of saying, Hey, here's the fraud prevention. Why don't they say, do you know what? We're going to give you a, you know, we're going to pay for you to have a lifetime subscription to this password manager or that password manager. And here's some guidance on how to migrate your existing account to that with a new password. And here's why you'll never have to remember passwords ever again. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. It's, it's interesting to me. And this is, I think, goes back to human nature, but you know, the CEO is saying, how do I protect myself against ransomware? They don't want to hear the answer. Well, you know that password manager you don't want to use? Yeah. You got to start using it, right? And we got to get everybody to use it. They want some whiz bang, you know, super cool thing that we're going to introduce and it's going to solve all our problems. And it, that's just not the way that it works. Yeah. We've got to do the basics. We got to, like you said, the fundamentals. There's a, there's a really interesting part of uh, the report that I think people could you know, kind of bounce off of or go around where it's talking about vulnerabilities and patching vulnerabilities. And if you, read, if you read through it, it actually says, yeah, we're seeing a lot more people patching regularly, which is the good news. Yep. But there's this long tail of people who are doing it at very, varying degrees of success. And that's where all the attacks are happening in that long tail of people not doing the right thing. And that's another thing we're looking at here with ransomware and, and when we're talking about the basics is people are like, well, how is password management going to help us? Like, that's not some whiz bang thing. It's like, well, yeah, but you want to be a group of the 80% that are doing the right thing most of the time and get out of the tail. That's what yep. you want to do. Get out of the tail and get to a place where you're much more safe. And yeah, you're not, it doesn't solve all the problems. It's not all of the security all the time, but that's why we talk about defense in depth. That's why we talk about doing many of the right things pretty well doing, you know, 80% of the things, 80% well, 80% of the time. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get you in that area, get you out of the, you know, the kill box or whatever you want to call it, the zone where, where they're attacking. Zone of terror. Yeah. Like, do you think there's a, an element of perfection being the enemy of good enough in, in security? Like everyone's like, well, it's going to be too hard to do all of this. So I'm going to throw my toys out of the pram and do none of it. Oh, absolutely. I have this conversation all the time with people. Um, a good example, and this is kind of a little going far afield, more physical security realm, but wearing access badges, you know, with the picture on mm -hmm. it and stuff like that. And people talk about this. What is this solving? I'm going to poke all these holes, but I'm like, is it doing something? Yes, it's doing something. We need to do a collection of things that lead to, uh, that lead to a more secure total picture and not over-focus on each and every solution doing 100% of the good, right? And... We can't get everybody to do this, right? Well, can we get 80% of the people to do it? Can we get 90%? That is limiting our footprint to a much smaller area. And let's focus on the basics and make sure we're doing the fundamentals to that level. And again, get out of that, you know, 
uh, fatal funnel, get out of that long tail so that we're doing, we're good, right? We're not perfect, but we're good. But what we don't want to do is be as bad or mediocre. <laughs> That's where we don't want to be. Yeah. It's so the phrase, you know, faster than the, than the other guy, like when, when a bear's chasing you, you want to be faster than your friend, right? Essentially. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm glad we're working on the better solutions like passwordless things and, and stuff that can improve us. That's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And while we're on our journey there, yeah, let's, let's make sure we're in the group where we're safe and, and, and be waving our buddies into the good area. Like, hey, everybody <laughs> join up here because then we'll, then we'll force the attackers to pivot and off to pivot to much more sophisticated methods. If stealing emails and credentials isn't going to work anymore, which is where they yeah. go now because it works so well and it's so cheap. Yeah. So, I mean, the flip side to password managers is, and it frustrates me to say it, is like multi-factor authentication because it feels like everyone knows that MFA or, or two-factor authentication is something that solves a lot of the credential stuffing, the password theft, the, the, the reuse of accounts in, in um, compromises. Like it addresses that. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to come back and tell you a story of why I think our industry is full of shit sometimes, right? But like, why do you think it's so hard for organizations to adopt MFA or what, or why is it so hard for vendors to enforce MFA in things like office or, you know, Google workspaces? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have no idea why this isn't just totally normal and standard for everyone right now. I just, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't get it, but a lot of it is, you know, there's this, this idea where people don't want to introduce too much friction into someone's workflow where they, they don't want to, you know, and, and that's where these perfect be the enemy of the good things come up because of like, oh, well, someone can do, you know, can, someone can get my code and they put it in. So why, do, why should I even do this? And it yeah. makes it more difficult. And I'm just like, I don't understand. I don't get it's, it. It's, I don't get it. I have yeah. to really dig deep to get that empathy to really talk with the person, listen, and, because it just doesn't seem that difficult for me to set up these things that have huge security implications. And I think that's yeah. the picture. We've got to tell people, you know, why it's worth it and why it needs to happen. But yeah, I just think people don't want to do it. They don't want to be bothered. Yeah. Like the, the reason that I've, I wanted to ask that is because, you know, I had a realization maybe a month ago that, so I've got two kids, right? One of them's 12, one of them's nine. They both love this video game called Fortnite, right? They play it all the time. We play it a lot. And inside, inside this video game, you know, you can earn things like skins or, or items that stay in game. You can also buy them and you can also gift them around. But what's interesting, what Epic Games have done is brilliant, really, from a security perspective, to be able to participate in a lot of that sharing and, you know, giving things around, you have to sign up for multi-factor authentication. So my nine-year-old and my 12-year-old are, you know, opted into this because they wanted to do it. So they know what multi-factor authentication is. They know how to use a multi-factor token. They know not to share their user name and password. They know not to reuse stuff because they don't want to lose all of these things that they've, they've, um, I was going to say worked hard for, but you know, they've worked hard for in the game. So they, they, they are already in a security first mindset, but can you imagine because, because Epic games have forced it, you know, they've said it's an, it's, it's an on, it's a, it's a condition, but can you imagine the fiora, the fury of <laughs> middle-aged white accountants around the world? If Microsoft turned around and said, you know what, if you want to send emails outside of your enterprise, then you have to use multi-factor authentication. Yeah, I, I'm. I love that you brought this up because it brings up a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is uh, security awareness, right? Ah, yeah. Huge, huge topic for me. I love it. Uh, a huge part of this is education, right? And we've got to get the people who aren't the quote unquote digital natives 
to get to a point where they understand fundamentally what's what we're trying to accomplish. We're not trying to make anyone's life more annoying. We're not, you know, we're not trying to make it more difficult. We're not getting in the way. This is literally facilitating paying down money now so we don't have to pay more expensive money later when there's a breach. I mean, the report says 82% of the incidents involve a human being, right? Like yep, that's makes sense. Yep. That's one of one of the things. And I'm shocked it's so, not higher, to be honest with you, right? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it probably is. But but you know, that's the one where they <laughs> yeah. can really they can really stand behind it, right? So either yeah. a mistake or social engineering, right? 82%. And you know, I, I think it goes to the same thing. And it's a great thing that Epic did because they're using that sort of that nudge that you know, I'm not a behavioral psychologist, but that nudge, that atomic habits type type of of uh, you know, of way of of encouraging people to do the right thing in ways that are that 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 go right into it, it blends into what they're already doing, right? It's exactly. not this tack on that's coming from outside. It's it's born inside it. It's it's integral to what they're doing. You've just, you've just thrown another analogy at me there. It's like it's like the carrot yeah. to do the right thing. Whereas I think security, certainly cybersecurity and maybe all kinds of security really is seen as the stick to beat people that make a mistake with, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, when I do security awareness trainings, which I've done in the past, I always try to switch the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I'll just address it directly and say, listen, I don't want anybody to be afraid, uncertain, and to doubt. I want you to be totally certain of what's going to happen. Here are the attacks. I want you to be certain <laughs> that this is coming, right? I have no doubt that this is what's happening. But guess what? If you're prepared, you, you don't need to fear, right? So let's prepare you and then we can get rid of the FUD, right? So we don't deal with that. And now you know what to do. And you know the things that can protect you against all this potentially scary stuff that's out there. One of the great things, MFA. And by the way, if you set this up right, it can actually make your life easier. And try to paint that educational picture for people. Because mm -hmm. once they get that vision, oh, it's so great to see people jump on. and like, Oh, I can be secure and this can be better. This is great. I think it's those that are resisting that mm -hmm. still don't want to be educated. And that's why it's on us as security practitioners to lead with empathy. Yes. To come in and really understand people and then say, let me meet where you're at mentally or, you know, whatever it is in, in your personal security journey and help get you to the place where you want to do these things, understand their importance and can be a partner. And then a lot of these people become champions. The most resistant will become champions once they understand and really get it. They're on, mm -hmm. they're on board. They're, let's go. Right. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head, right? It's just, it's, have, it's communicating in the right way, right? It's communicating with them as humans and not, idiot users, like as, as many, you know, as sure many practitioners have, have uttered those words once or twice in their careers. Like, I think it's also important, and we touched on this with the password manager to point out that the security practices they have at work can make them secure in their own lives as well. It's not, you know, not something that you have to do just for work. This is going to make you better off in your home life, not just more secure, but like, it's so much easier for me to use my password manager on my phone like it uses my thumbprint or my face id to log in and it automatically pastes the thing in there it's actually quicker than if i was to type something even if i knew what it was it's quicker than you know going and copy and pasting it from a, a text file it's just easier absolutely i loved what you said there we need to address the whole human right we i mean i think security awareness should be taught in elementary primary school whatever from from the very beginning so people are realize that in our new digital world, this is table stakes. They have to do these things, right? It's like wearing your seatbelt, locking your doors. It's the same thing. We've got to teach people. And until we're to a point where we're training people at that level, and I'm glad, you know, Epic Games is doing what they're doing for it. I, I love that. 
But, you know, until we get to that state, we, we, we need to bring everybody in. And one of the ways we can do that is through industry, right? No matter what industry you're in, if you're in security, you can start addressing the whole human and telling them, mm. oh, yeah, by the way, the things you're doing here, you should do them at home and even have maybe parts of your security awareness training focused on that. I know we've done that at Arctic Wolf with our managed awareness product that we, you know, where we do these these nudge type videos that come out each month and or each week and remind people and quizzes and things like that. Some of them are like, hey, go tell your friends and family, mm -hmm. you know, go share this with others. You know, the while you're on vacation kind of security, too, because we also know, you know bad guys don't care if you're at work or if you're at home, if you're on yep. vacation or you're working. And sometimes they don't even care if it's your work account or your home account. We're going to yep. attack all of them because we know they're interrelated. We know that you're logging into your your, you know, your personal accounts on your work devices and vice versa. So we're going to attack it all because that's how we're going to get you is we're going to, we're going to attack the whole thing. They don't see a difference there. Yeah. And so in your experience, like you've talked, you just talked about like addressing the human. I think that's a, a, an amazing way of putting it. Like one of the things that comes up so frequently when I talk with not, not just, not just victims of, of cybercrime or, or, or incidents like that, but you know, friends as well is they don't feel comfortable telling their employer, Hey, I think I did something wrong. I think I logged into the wrong place. Like there's this perm almost permanent worry of like, if I screw this up, you know, I, I did a training last year and if I screw this up, they're just going to fire me. Like, how do you, how do you avoid that? Because I think it feels like to me as a security organization, you want to have more incidents, right? Everyone talks about, you know, less incidents, less alerts, less of this. But if I'm thinking about a, an organization that has, you know, this, for want of a better phrase, culture of security first, like you'd want more incidents because people are reporting things they see, they've seen something, they say something. So how do you get over that hump of, if I say something, I'm incriminating myself? Frankly, fantastic question, fantastic. And frankly, we've got to catch up to a lot of other domains in, you know, in the modern workplace, certainly in tech. Now, this is something they tackled in tech you know, years ago, and they're doing it really well in, in engineering departments, right? They, they get these blameless cultures where it's like, hey, if you did the bad thing, if you pushed the bad button, you killed the whole data center, whatever it was, just jump on, let's fix it. And it's blameless. And you may, might be the one right in the RCA for the whole team, stand in front of the CTO, but no one is there blaming. Everyone is there just saying, well, like, what can we learn from this? What did you do? What did you do? You know, and as long as we are all learning lessons, and certainly the person that did the the dumb thing or whatever, or, you know, didn't understand the, the consequences of their actions. As long as we're not repeating these mistakes, it's blameless culture, right? And this is this has come into uh, management, right? The modern management workplace, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, leading people, where they talk about creating a culture of candor on your teams, where people can speak openly and freely about this, about people's behavior, about their own behavior, so that all that we're trying to do is all get better, right? Mm. Coming from a sense of assuming good intent and no longer having, you know, a culture full of blame and fear, but a culture that's open, transparent, where we can all grow together. And we need to do the same thing in security. We need to get to a point where someone's like, oh my gosh, I clicked on the wrong thing. The <laughs> last thing we want someone to do is to try to hide it, right? Like exactly. I'm gonna close on my close on my windows, turn off my computer, walk away, pretend it never happened. No, we want the first thing they're gonna do is to call up their friendly neighborhood security person <laughs> that's not gonna blame the person and is gonna say, Thank you for telling me. Now I, you know, it would have been great if you didn't click on it, but I'm not even gonna talk about that because I'm just gonna be thank you for telling me, let's fix it. And then we can rewind and go back and say, how can we all learn from this, including you, but me too. You know, maybe this is a vector I haven't seen before but really get to a place where people don't do that. And that, that starts with culture, right? We're building a culture. 
And so leaders, whether, you know, security leaders, certainly, but also CEO, everyone, we can't get to a place where we're, you know, flying off the handle if someone does the wrong thing, because people are, we need to get to a place where we're like, all right, how do we grow from this? Because we know yeah. it's going to happen. How do we grow from this? How can we support you and make sure you don't do it again? Because certainly, you know, in, in all these cases, when we have people who are doing the dumb thing all the time, we're making tons and tons of mistakes and not learning from it. That's a totally different situation where we need to maybe have some corrective action. But I'm talking about for most people, mm-hmm. let's create that culture where people can freely come forward and say, here's what I see. Here's what's happening. Let's fix it together. I love it. I love it. The, the friendly neighborhood security expert is a great phrase. We need to, that should be a job title for the help desk, right? Let's get rid of the help desk and call it friendly neighborhood security. Well, we're coming to the end of the time today, Adam, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. This is an excellent discussion. I learned something as I always do when I talk to you. Yeah, this was fantastic. Really appreciate it. Love it. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody gets a chance to, to look at the report and gain their own uh, lessons learned from it. Yeah, man, before you go, like instead of doing the, the classic thing of asking you to share something you've enjoyed lately, I'm actually going to tell you what to plug, right? Because I saw you post on, on LinkedIn, you know, maybe a few weeks ago about a leadership book. And it, you know, what you wrote really struck a call with me. I read the blurb about the book and went off and bought it and, you know, enjoyed uh, reading it. Do you, do you remember what that one is? And perhaps you can explain why you recommended it. And if you don't, I can tell you what it is. Yeah, no, no, of course I do. It's, a, it's kind of a big deal for me. Uh, it's a book called When They Win, You Win. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's by a gentleman by the name of Russ Laraway, who's got a great career in, in tech and was in the United States Marine Corps and is really just an incredible leader and a bit of a mentor to me. Um, I worked, he and I both worked at Qualtrics when he was chief people officer there and I was head of security operations. And uh, he taught me a lot. And the, the reason I put a blurb and, you know, like I said in my book, I, I do not endorse things, certainly not leadership books. I have a long history uh, with leadership books that we won't go into here, but but this is one <laughs> that is that is really based in well in reality, but certainly results, right? And also an alternative working title for this was you know happy people, happy results was, mm-hmm. was another one Russ was considering because it really is kind of a people first approach, but it goes to what actually creates impact. And it tracks that back to if you have high employee engagement, and this is a ton of research that's been done, high employee engagement, you have higher impact. And in, in whatever, you know, whatever team, security, whatever, high employee engagement, you have high impact. So how what drives employee engagement? And it comes back to the manager, right? And so part of the goal, one of the goals of this book is to restore the dignity of the manager, mm-hmm. right? Put them back in their places being really fundamental to driving employee engagement, because nothing does it more than the manager, the environment they create. So then it goes back, how do we measure that? How do we make it better? And that's what the book is all about. And so I love things that I can measure. I love things Mm -hmm. where I can work on and tweak and push and understand what I'm trying to do. And then I can measure at the end the results. Like, so if I'm doing this, then I should have impact and employee engagement at the other end. And he kind of paints that whole picture. And it's across tons of research that he did while while he was at Qualtrics from before. And uh, anyway, I just can't say enough great things about it. It's what I'm trying to, uh, (laughs) and uh, implementing now. And so anyway, that's why, that's why I plugged that book. And it's what I would have said if you asked me what I would have read recently anyway. So. Was it really? Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I loved it. As I was going through just even what you wrote and then the, the you know, the, the back page blurb and stuff is, and then the first few chapters is really describes a lot of the behaviors that some of my favorite managers in my career demonstrated. And, you know, seeing all that come together, there was a few aha moments for me, for sure. And, you know, really enjoyed it. So I was super glad that you posted that. 
Yeah, thanks. And thanks for bringing it up because it is no worries. It is really powerful, and it and it has to do with security because it'll help you be a better security leader. Period. Exactly, it's building building that culture, building that you know level of trust with people, and you know openness and openness and candor, like you said. Good times. Cool. Well, this this podcast is called Challenge Accepted. So, listeners, your homework or challenge, if you like, is to download and read the data. Um, I'm going to say that again because I fucked that up. So this this podcast is called Challenge Accepted. And so your homework or challenge, if you like, is to download and read the DBIR. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes. And I promise you, you'll learn something. It's a great read. So really invest the time as a security professional. So thanks for listening. Thanks again, Adam. And thanks uh, to the, the producer of this. And uh, until next time, my name is Ian McShane. Thanks so much. Thank you.